0: Hello folks, it is I, Mr. Andy, and or that Mr. Guy, however you'd like to refer to me. And today, uh, me and Luke, were talking about putting up kind of like a little bonus episode to... I don't know, Wet your appetites while things are uh, kind of slowed down a little bit in New Japan and we're taking a little break and planning what the future holds for the Never Open podcast. And folks, we got some pretty cool stuff planned. If we get to pull it all off, you're going to be really happy. 2021 uh, is going to be a big year for us. And uh, thank you guys, everyone who listened, everyone who has uh, you know written in and, and contributed in any way to our show. It's been a lot of fun. Um, back in 2018, i I believe this is in September of 2018, um, I was doing a different podcast and, and that podcast uh, was basically reviewing indies from the area and also I did all kinds of interviews. And uh, in September, I just, I don't know why, I just went buck wild, and I tried to interview as many people as I could, and most of them are podcasters, so at the beginning of this show, uh, this this uh, interview you're about to hear, you'll hear some kind of like, oh, I was interviewing podcasters, but I want to interview this guy, and uh, you know, the idea was that I wanted to interview as many people as I could in the month of September, most of which were podcasters, however, some were just people I find interesting, and, and it was like, it was a weird time, I was like on a roll, and everybody was saying yes. I interviewed some pretty big names in that month and it was fantastic. So I was reaching out to everybody trying to get them to say yes. And one of the folks that I reached out to that said yes was Chris Charlton. Um, You know, and I just pronounced his name properly and you'll hear me mispronounce his name uh, during the uh, interview. And it's funny because he doesn't correct me. So he's very, very nice. And uh, this interview is interesting for many reasons. Uh, One is because it's from a few years ago and Chris Charlton was not necessarily a member of the New Japan staff yet Uh, if he was he wasn't going to tell us that um, and he even mentions at the end you know some specifics about that kind of thing so it's fun to listen to from that perspective and we get into the nitty-gritty of uh, New Japan of course but one of the things that we really get into that's fun is Chris Charlton's story and how he got to where he is it's pretty cool Um, you know It sounds like he is just a fantastic dude that is just kind of – a good guy you know you can kind of hear that coming through so there's all kinds of little neat tidbits and and me and Luke were talking we're like ah, hey, let's throw that up uh give the folks some uh you know some stuff to listen to in the meantime so you know this interview is kind of starts right in the middle of a, of a sentence and uh you know that was the best way I, I found to kind of drop us in and it does end abruptly so don't worry uh, I just cut a few ends off uh, of the uh, podcast interview just to make it more consumable for our audience. So, uh, so here we go. It's the uh, Chris Charlton interview from September 2018. Now, Chris Carlton, uh, you are a gentleman who is in Japan right now. Is that correct?
1: Uh, Yeah, right, right this second. Yes.
0: Well, well, you know, uh, this month has been a big month of interviews for podcasters. But, you know, uh, I felt like that you know, I didn't want to limit it to just podcasters. I kind of wanted to also get some folks that are just, you know, interesting folks in the world of professional wrestling. Um, you have had a very interesting recent kind of thing happen to you. You were in Japan teaching elementary school. First of all, we need to find out how did that happen?
1: <laughs> um, yeah, that, that, I, that's just, yeah, That that's like I've been in Japan since I was 21. So, and like, I'm more than that now. Um, but yeah, like, I, I came out straight out of university, um, just looking for something to do for a bit, you know, without getting a proper job at the, at that time, you know, um, and then that turned me into getting a, a bunch of things. You know, what I mean, like, I started, like, a lot of people come over to Japan, um, to, like, teach in conversation schools where like it kind of it's a very very difficult concept to describe to like, people. but it's like you know um especially in japan you know where people have very very sort of low confidence when it comes to speaking english so like well so like this industry sprang up of um having usually young Like foreign people work in the thing, work in this school to like teach English and mainly to have like conversations with, um, housewives (laughs) is basically how it turns out. Um, so that's when, that's what I started. That's why I came out here, figured that I'd do that for a year. And, um, yeah, it, it turned into getting better work than that, or, you know, not to disparage that job, it's it's a decent decent enough job, Um, but, uh, yeah, that that turned into doing more and different things, and then having a family here, and, um, yeah, and now I have a a wife and two kids and a mortgage, and um, I'm never leaving, so.
0: Well, that's tremendous. Now, um, I'm interested to find out how a guy who goes to Japan to teach housewives how to have conversations ends up, you know, writing books about New Japan pro wrestling. Tell me, how did that all come about?
1: Um, so, I mean, I just, part of the reason of, of like, why Japan, like, part of that was, was wrestling. And so it was kind of, you know, what had me smitten about Japan was pro wrestling and, and video games, which, um, you know, not, not a, not an extremely rare thing, right? Um, so you know, I mean, I came out here and, um, that was, you know, when I came here it was 2005. Um, so now I really have, uh, dated myself, uh, if you can do the math, but like, um, <laughs> Yeah, so that was when kind of the the wrestling business was on a downturn <laughs> and not many people um you know, really cared about it I guess um in a in a broad sense. Uh but so I sort of lived through that that period as as fan going to to live shows and then uh started seeing things pick up, you know, and start to to gather steam. Um you know, especially around 2011-2012 um and i started doing a podcast um with you know and like now kind of i mean really everybody has a wrestling podcast and like wrestling podcasts that, that cover japanese wrestling were fairly common as well you know um but we were i think you know when there weren't many at all you know, I was doing uh, a podcast with uh, a guy, W.H. Park, who also lives in Japan, and uh, we did that this this podcast, Japanese Audio Wrestling, which was on the Lore network. Wow. Um, and, you know, Lore, if you don't know, that was, like, owned by the Fight Network and then, like, um, Anthem, who owned Impact. Bought the Fight Network and then dissolved everything, you know, so Laura is no longer. But we we did this this podcast that was um, covering sort of most Japanese wrestling, but like specifically New Japan, I, I think, was, was our main drive. And um, then, you know, when around 2015, when there was a lot of steam and a lot of hype going into uh, that year's Wrestle Kingdom, because they were showing it on pay-per-view um, in the States... And like, so this was when they were just sort of starting to have conversations about sort of expanding overseas, you know, and so we'd, we'd get more and more listeners to this podcast and like they'd always ask questions. So, you know, they, they, they'd they always thank us for, for covering stuff in the, you know, in the moment, but there'd be a lot of questions from people that didn't understand or, or wanted to know more about everything from a historical context um and that's what really made me think Oh, really there was nothing at that point um in like the printed word form that that would that kind of put all of that in, in one place you know so that's when i started yeah I, I spent just over a year working on a book um which was called lion's pride which was the history of new japan and, uh, wrote that. And that was kind of, I mean, it was a very, very sort of general surface level book, but like, um, you know, I mean, thanks to, to everybody that read it, that, that seems to like it, you know, it, it was, it was well received. And then, so with, uh, my second book eggshells, which came out, um, in the summer, it was kind of like, it was almost uh sort of second crack of the whip and like it was kind of almost a little bit of revenge for me of like I'm gonna take, you know what what nags at me about Lion's Pride is that by its nature, because it was such a broad like uh you know the scope of it was so broad, um, yeah, you know, it meant that it was very surface level. And I think like, okay, this is a chance to do something very specific. Um and do more, you know, really Unearth more stuff that that had never been put into English before, or like get more interviews with people that were there at the time that uh, that hadn't, you know. I mean, it was completely new information, you know. Um, so that's what I'm more proud of with with the the second book. I mean, you should buy both of them, but like the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the second well, book.
0: But, <laughs> Both books, uh, you know, Lion's Pride and Eggshells are available on Amazon. I'm looking at them right now here. Uh, you can have them in two days shipping. So, uh, you know, pretty much anywhere in the world. But, um, <clears throat> you know, one of the things that I find very interesting about New Japan Pro Wrestling or Japanese wrestling in general is that, you know, our culture in America and, you know, England, New Zealand and all these different places in the world, everybody has a different culture. Um, and then there's Japanese culture and it's kind of, on its own you know it has its own kind of thing and so you know one of the things that's really fascinating about watching japanese wrestling is you know in in america you know americanized wrestling we're used to a good guy and a bad guy and 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 the things that the good guy does to be a good guy make sense to us. The things that the bad guy does to be a bad guy make sense to us. When you watch Japanese wrestling for the first time, you know, uh, we there's a good guy uh, right now, although he switches back and forth whenever he needs to, which is kind of how they do in New Japan. Uh, we have a guy named Naito who is, uh, you know, spitting in people's faces, destroying the belt, and doing all kinds of dastardly things, and the crowd loves him. You know, and and it's it's really fun to kind of watch the different kinds of uh, wrestlers over there and the different ways that they uh, portray their characters. And, and, you know, and, and it's fascinating because sometimes you watch it and you just don't understand it. Is that something that, you know, drew you to uh, watching Japanese wrestling or was it more of the wrestling style itself?
1: Um, I think like initially it was, it was like an an athleticism thing that that Jumian and like the, the different presentation, and now it's, um, you know, now it's to the point where like a lot of things don't click with me. Um, you know, if, if it isn't like presented in it, you know, I think like you, you get sort of fenced into your, your own type or your, your own genre, but like now where I'm to the point where, you know, I mean, New Japan. As a necessity, it kind of eats up way more of, of my time, um, than in some ways I'd, I'd perhaps like it to. But like, um, you know, it, it it's very difficult for me to watch, certainly, like, the, the WWE presentation of, of wrestling. Um, I mean, yeah, and I think, like, to, for what you're saying, um, about presenting characters, like, it, it all boils down to, that that level of pres- presentation where to to the bulk of the fans um especially if you're going to see the show live um you're only seeing matches so everything gets communicated within the match so like the athleticism in, in and the the in-ring um aspect of the show is 90 percent of the show Whereas perhaps on WWE it's it's maybe half, maybe not quite half, maybe sometimes a little bit more, maybe sometimes a little bit less. Um but then above that, like everything else, like the the sort of rationales, the thought processes, um that stuff it's it's almost I mean, like I think you and Japan are perhaps doing a better job recently of of surfacing that stuff with by by making their interviews more accessible um but for the longest time it was like you had to go out and seek that stuff out um and in a way, you know I think like that's kind of attractive, and it kind of adds to like this this sports style presentation where um if you are watching. Most sports, like your favorite team is your favorite team, you know, even if they might do something controversial on the the football field or whatever. Um, you know, I'm not going to make too many sports analogies because I'm terrible with <laughs> <at> sports. <laughs> yeah, but when when people are when people are hitting the 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 bases ball or whatever, uh, you know, it's like. Your 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 team and your players that you know that they, you know you, you like them for for what they do right and then you know when you know you might like them more by reading more about them by listening to to them more you know and you start to realize you know because like all of those interviews rather than the sound bites you get in America. Like everything, because you have to dig for it on your own, I think it's it's more in detail, in depth, and people have more room to sort of explain their rationale. So even with someone like Tetsuya Naito, who on the surface is smashing stuff up, and you would think that he's a terrible human being, but when he sits down and and talks to you, you know, because like that's that's part you know. Nobody thinks no, you know, no wrestling heel, quote unquote, goes goes in with the philosophy of I'm a bad guy. Ha ha ha. You know, it's uh-huh. like to them within themselves, what they're saying makes sense. And so when Naito gets the chance to talk and he's very charismatic and very convincing, you're like, oh, hey, actually, you do make sense. You know, and and that's why <laughs> like that's why the, the heel becomes the antihero. I think.
0: Well, he's one of my favorite characters because, um, you know, I, I've never—I mean, only in in Japanese wrestling can you have a a, a Japanese guy who pretty much, uh, you know, wants to speak Spanish uh for some reason you know and uh and spits on everybody and it's the greatest thing in the world now uh <clears throat> one of the things that you said a second ago um you know reminds me of it, it, there's this um this kind of uh, thing that uh, people say in storytelling especially in any visual visual medium and that is uh, show me don't tell me and that's right. one of my favorite things about new japan is that they show you they don't tell you they show you and they mm-hmm. show you through the physical action and you know wrestling boiled down to its core is telling a story through physical action. And that's kind of one of the things that I love about Japanese pro wrestling is it's, you know, it's very old school. It's what, you know, in America, people would call it old school, you know, style of wrestling because everything's told in the ring. There are a few kind of interviews, but and and then kind of to your point about that, as, uh, you know, as being a wrestling nerd myself, um, the more I can dig, for something and the more I know about it, and maybe somebody else doesn't know, the more I like it. And I think that's also uh, you know kind of the draw of Japanese wrestling is that even today, uh, even though it's it's becoming more Americanized, it's more available, uh, you know New Japan world, which we're going to talk about here in a second, is such a great tool for uh, us in America. it's it's still you know fascinating because it's not it's not mainstream yet, you know and it's still kind of one of these things that's kind of you know nerdy, quote unquote.
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, it's one of those situations where, like, um, you don't have to seek out that extra stuff. Like, you don't have to be reading Tokyo Sports or or watching, like, every uh, post-match interview. But if you do, then you will be rewarded for it. Like, you won't be left out if you're not. But, like, if you do, uh, go out and pursue that stuff, you'll, you'll be rewarded for it. It's kind of like finding extra bits of backstory or lore in a video game, right? Like, for, mm-hmm. for most people, you're there to play the game and that's fine and you can enjoy everything or you can seek out all the sun stuff and, like, enjoy that, uh, all the more. Um, yeah. And, and that's something that is um, is being, you know, there, there's a certain limit to, to how much we can, do with that japanese content you know i think that's going to be something that that gets improved but i mean even if you you take like the the if you take western people taking the same japanese philosophy of of presentation um then you get things like being the elite and everything with with kenny amigo and and contribution and the bucks from the from the western side of things where it's just like you know, for, for most people, they will like watch their matches and, and enjoy those matches. But if they want to seek out this YouTube series, then they'll find out a whole bunch more. Um, and then, you know, part of the success of All In was, was catering to 10,000, those 10,000 super hardcore fans that really did watch every episode of being the elite, you know, and, and that in the end was the nice sort of, I don't know. That was like almost the the end game reward of hey, you've collected everything. <laughs> it's in the yeah. video game. It's this this show, you know. Um, so yeah, that
0: was the 100% completed, you know. But, yeah. uh, but but you know, um, an interesting thing that uh, you know, that I'm fascinating with fascinated with is i don't speak any japanese i know ohio you because know, i'm Austin, that's it you know so uh and uh, you know i'm wa- i've been watching japanese uh, pro wrestling you know pretty much since wrestle kingdom nine that's when i first started watching it on you know regularly and uh you know i watch just about every show i can sometimes i dip out for world tag league but i think a lot of people do and uh you know the but one of the things that's always been fascinating with me it, or to me is i don't know what they're saying and, uh, you know, New Japan has done a really great job recently, especially starting with the G1. Uh, they really, really started doing this, making sure they had a translator on hand, especially when someone was going to give a big promo at the end of the night, which is kind of a tradition, um, you know, among, uh, you know, guys like Okada and Kenny Omega and Naito. Um, some of the bigger names you know after they win a match they may give a big long promo and tell us uh, you know how they're feeling about this that or the other thing now that's been a role that you've kind of fallen into here where you are translating uh, some of the things for uh, the fans on New Japan World hanging out with uh, you know um, uh, Kevin Kelly and uh Rocky Romero what's this been like man
1: yeah, I mean that that was a very very surreal month, yeah. And um it was it was something that you know you know I think I say, like, said elsewhere like it it was we were talking for a while because you know I I knew Kevin. Um I knew Rocky because um he'd helped me out a bunch, you know, when I was doing going back to Doing that Japanese wrestling podcast I used to do, um, you know. I mean, Rocky was Rocky's always like very, very gracious with with his time, and and he'll always sort you something out, you know. And I think like um, it was one of those things where the books, and as well as doing stuff on Twitter all the time, you know, I, I was thankfully able to to get in enough good graces and um, get some visibility to where. Um when the company felt that they they needed someone to some people um to to do that more, then you know i mean Rocky was able to suggest me you know and and other people were able to to suggest me but um yeah i mean i i 'd been doing a a little bit of stuff with with new japan from from time to time um for a while and uh, then it was a thing of okay you know they asked me to do one show in Corgram. Uh, just to do, just to do, as, as you said, just to do translation. Um, and I didn't have anything to translate in the end. It felt really awkward. I was like really, <laughs> really nervous, honestly sick in my stomach, you know, and, and saying, yeah, you know, oh my God, this is, this is terrible. What, you know, what am I going to do? What if, you know, I can't hear what, what the person's saying in the ring? What if I fuck it up and whatever? Um, and then it was like, it was the Ishii Goto G1 match and Ishi won. And didn't say anything. He just walked out. So <laughs> <You know, laughs> that was that was it. And, you know, it was it was it was it was, an, it was a reasonably easy, not not a big paycheck, but it was a reasonably easy paycheck to collect on that night. But um, but yeah, I mean, just just doing the the little bits that that I did say in the little interactions that I I did have, and and knowing, you know, because I was I was friendly with um Kevin and Rocky anyway, and and you know. Kevin just sort of pulled me up afterwards and just said, "You know, hey, next next time we we do it, then you know I'll let you say more and and dude, feel free to say more, you know." So um after that, I did Yokohama, which was August the eighth, because really because that was near where I lived, you know. So they they sort of asked me to do that, and um, yeah, I just, I just sort of took a little bit more, you know, because at that point it's kind of like it's fuck it, you know, right? Because mm-hmm. if you don't yeah, you know, if I if I say if I say too much and and run my mouth too much and they think I'm terrible, then you you just don't get called again. You know that's fine. Like it's it's no loss at the end of the day. You know. Um. But as it happened, you know, I mean, they 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 liked the stuff I said and and you know they they liked the work I did, and then I got called back to do the 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 finals, which was really surreal. <laughs> it was really bizarre. You know, especially because like those shows I bought tickets. That was the crazy thing. So I had tickets. I was planning to go to the. I was like, I was all excited to to go to the Budokan because like that's a thing on your Japanese wrestling fan bucket list. And, uh, go see a show at the Budokan. Um. So I had my tickets, and then I was like, I need to sell these tickets because <laughs> yeah, I'm working <laughs> on this show.
0: <sighs> well, uh, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is that you know, it's funny to hear you say that you were very nervous at first because now all of a sudden you're busting out OSW review uh, references on there. And uh, that made me laugh really hard. Uh, well, you know, the aloha thing. Uh, that's that's hilarious. Tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, some of the things that you've been able to do. And how has a guy like Kevin Kelly helped you? Because I know he's a pro. And you said a second ago, you said, well, fuck it. I don't know. You know, if I mess up, they're not going to call me back. Well, you know, Kevin Kelly's the kind of guy that's going to help you along, I would assume, and not allow you to kind of screw the pooch. So, to uh, speak. God. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, it's so it felt so safe doing it like it felt so so safe you know and and like you know as i I said like um yeah i mean that they're both good friends like rocky is like the friendliest man in the business you know so like as far as as out of the people in my you know limited scope of of the venn diagram of me in the wrestling business but like but rocky is the nicest man in the planet and kevin kelly is just like such a professional that you know he'll you know, he he can just like do anything. You know, he can run with anything, and like he can do it all in his in his sleep. You know, so I mean, it it was just it felt so so easy, and it, and it's kind of just like you know, in the end, with with those guys, it's just it's like watching wrestling with with a couple of friends, and like they're doing like the the main bulk of the work. You know, in terms of like getting everything across, explaining what's going on or whatever. Um, you know, so I mean, my job. You was kind of just to add analysis and a point here or there. Um, and it was just really, really easy, you know, because it, it instantly felt to me like oh, I'm, I'm watching wrestling with a couple of mates, um, who maybe they don't know. Why this guy did this, you know? They maybe don't understand the background, you know. And, and I'm sure, it, like, it's happened to you, right? You've you've probably watched a wrestling show with some buddies, and like, they don't know what's going on, you know. So they'll ask you, like, you know, what's going? on, Why are these two guys fighting? You know, and you know that stuff, so you can explain it, right? And that's what it, that's what it, it really felt like. And like, Kevin was just like, yeah, I'll let you go. And and um, he said he said like, I'll gently produce you from. <laughs> The thing, and he would just be like, you know, if I give you a sign, just maybe like ease up, let this thing breathe a little bit. And it did feel a little bit like, you know, I said this on another podcast, but it did feel a little bit like, you know, the, the Simpsons episode where like Homer's on the baseball team and like Mr. Burns is doing like the hand signals. But, like, <laughs> <laughs> Should I go? Should I start? I don't know what's going on. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he was, um, he was so, so great and so, so gracious as well. You know, and, and the, like one thing I, I hadn't said, like when um the final, at the final night of the G1, like before he we went out there, you know, he, he said, okay, when whatever the result is, when the referee comes to three, wait for, like, be quiet, wait for the announcement. And then he said to me, then you say something. I was like shit. You <laughs> know that was like a hell for suddenly, You know be be put on me but like that's how how much I don't know whether it was a faith thing or whether you know it was just him being like just so uh giving, you know. But um yeah, Kevin's wonderful.
0: I I've only met Kevin once. It was at a Ring of Honor show and it was after he had just gone to Japan. I think maybe for the first time to actually do commentating. And uh you know and and i I just talked to him briefly about that, and he was kind of surprised that I knew about that, but you know, I was just like, well, I mean, I try to follow in Japanese wrestling, and i I love him. um The other thing that I love about him is that you know um wrestling is goofy, it's you know i mean it's it, there's a lot of funny things, especially in Japanese wrestling. there is a lot of funny stuff. I mean, you have a a uh, a wrestler. Whose finishing move is a ball shot and a roll up. You know what I mean? So it, one of the things I love about uh, what you guys do on the commentary team is that you guys make it fun and Kevin Kelly is the butt of the joke a lot of times, you know, and he knows how to do that and make him, you know, obviously Rocky Ramirez is the butt of the joke a lot as well. And they know how to how to do that. And that's kind of, you know, what pro wrestling is all about in a way is to kind of make everybody else look good. And that's what your job is as the commentary team is to make everybody in the ring, everything that's going on visually look better and and enhance that. And that's something that Kevin Kelly really understands he passes that on to you guys, and and it's something I really really appreciate from a fan's point of view.
1: <clears throat> now, yeah, um, and I th- I think as well like the 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 thing with Kevin is that he's learned on on the job in in terms of his own knowledge of of the history. You know what I mean? I mean he's put. Uh, so much, so much work in, um, from when he started, you know, and he'd he tell you himself, and I'm sure, I'm sure like you picked up on it on, the, on those, those first few shows where it was kind of, it was kind of rough going, you know, cause it was kind of like obvious that they were sort of just talking about what was going on in the ring at that moment because they, they didn't have that, that context, you know? Um, and that was the thing where, you know, at the time in what, 2015, 2016, whatever it was, like I reached out to, to Kevin and said, you know, Hey, you know, if there's anything uh, that you need, any background that you need, then, then let me know. Um, and so, yeah, you know, that that was the start of that. And I think because like Kevin's gone through that learning process, I think like we all know that for a lot of the people watching like the the English feed on on worlds, they don't they don't know what what happened in like you know ten, fifteen, twenty years ago. They don't, you know. And so. What the, the balance I, I think that, that we have to try to, to strike is like queuing people in of like, there's a reason for this and a reason for that and giving people, like we said, like that, that little bit of extra background to stuff without being preachy, you know, without being sort of gatekeepers to this, because like, yo know, we want you here. Like, um, you know, we're, we're, we're really happy that you're giving this a shot and we just want to sort of, you know, gently educate. The, the fans in a, in a fun way so that they enjoy the product in uh, the product more. Um, you know, and I think that's, that's important. And like Kevin coming from the position that he did, where he's gone through that process himself, you know, I, I think that's why he's, he's the sort of perfect man for the job.
0: Well, you know, that's interesting because one of my favorite things and, and <clears throat> often talking about Western wrestling, I always say this is like an Easter egg that when it pops up, you're like, holy crap, I can't believe this is, exists. Is uh, continuity in storytelling. And uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, that's kind of what they do. I mean, you know, Mm. like you said, things that happened 15 years ago matter in the long run. And that's how you end up with a Japanese guy who speaks Spanish, you know, and and all these kinds of bizarre things. There's a reason for them. Uh, Many times in in Western wrestling, um, I would say, I don't know, 60 to 70% of western wrestling, there's absolutely no reason why they're fighting. You know, you go to a, a local independent show, hey, it's this guy versus that guy, and the, the deepest storyline you might get is first time ever, which is the mm. most like half-assed shitty storyline I've ever heard in my life. And um <clears throat> in New Japan, we have a, a gigantic card coming up here, uh 3 nights, a destruction, and uh, you know, one of the one of the biggest matches, you know, kind of the main event of the weekend. Is, uh, Tanahashi versus Okada for a shot at the IWGB, uh, title, um, at the Tokyo Dome. It, it, you know, this is, this story goes back for a long time. And not only that, these guys have had match after match after match every time. It's incredible. And, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that if this were happening in, say, WWE, for example, um, right now, uh, we are building to a, match between The Undertaker and Triple H and nobody gives a shit because why are they fighting? You know, no one knows. There's no reason. They're trying to make up some half-assed reason. Meanwhile, <clears throat> you know, Tanahashi and Okada have more than a thousand reasons to fight. Uh, tell me a little bit about this rivalry and uh, and how important it is to the fabric of New Japan Pro Wrestling.
1: I think, like, it sort of came, you know, it, it was the perfect sort of Transition where you know I mean Tanahashi carried the company f- through its its sort of bleakest period and and held it held everything together and and he was the star that that kind of reinvigorated the product and then so everything starts. You know that the, the, the company noticeably gaining momentum, and that's what I was saying. You know, you start doing this, this, um, you know, podcast, starting getting involved around 2012, when just like everything starts sort of ticking in, starts starts to get going, and then you know, sort of. So January fourth, 2012, here comes like Kazuchika Okada, like you know, going from an ordinary sort of black tights, a uh, young lion, a very young guy, a very tall guy, a very attractive guy, but um. You know, I mean, you you wouldn't think. You know, he sort of comes out the blue, and um, his his first thing when when he gets in the ring with with Tanahashi uh, at the end of that Wrestle Kingdom show, and he's booed out the building because like he had this match uh, earlier on in the Tokyo Dome against Yoshihashi, which was not not great. You know what I mean, like, not, not good at all. You know, if we're going to be honest. Um So he's booed out the building, and like, so here's this guy. And he gets in the ring. He stands opposite Tanahashi, and he says, "What's son of this?" Which, which is kind of like, well done, good job. You know, that's that's something usually, you know. We'll say it when we're on the way out of the office. <laughs> going somewhere else, you know, like that's, that's it for you. Like your, your job is done, you know. So here's like this, this young brash guy, um, coming in and you kind of think at that point, here's another sort of ten penny, you know, young challenger for, for Tanahashi. You know, Tanahashi was like the, the record saying champion at the time. And, um, so the next month, they just they have this title match, you kind of think it's this regular regular title match, is gonna steamroll him and uh, Okada beats him and like it's called the Rainmaker Shock, right? And um that's crazy. You know, what I mean like they they hot shotted Okada like right to the top. And so, you know, that that kind of gets a lot of heat on him because it's kind of like he doesn't, surely he doesn't, he can't deserve this position, surely he's going to crumble you know, as it turns out you know, I mean, they they bet the house on him and, and won, because like, you know, Okada was tremendous, but like it started that that rivalry, that that story between Tanahashi and Okada you know, where certainly Okada could beat Tanahashi, but Okada for years couldn't beat Tanahashi on like the real big stage at, at the Tokyo and so that was you know, four years um, and I make the, the the point in, I make the point in the book, like our and Japanese stories, you know, they teach you in the Western style of story writing, you have a beginning, a middle and an end, and it's three acts in Japanese storytelling, you have four acts and the sort of main bulk of the Tanahashi Okada rivalry took four years. And like, yo, know, I thought that was how much of it was just like the cute. Aspect of it, you know, it was just a cute thing about oh, four years for for acting the story, you know, but uh, you know it, it, it works really <laughs> well, right? Um, but then, you know, circum every now and again, like circumstances align where they'll cross paths again, you know, and and it's like they're never quite done with one another, and I think like this time at uh, you know at, at destruction, it's kind of. Like that's, that's it. You know, I kind of think, you know, Okada thinking at the time when he finally beat Tanahashi earlier on in the year, you know, he beat Tanahashi to take his like record breaking, uh, IWGP title one, you know, and, and like Okada feels at this time like finally Tanahashi's again behind me, you know, finally he's in the rearview mirror. Um, but then uh, Okada loses the, 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 that title that meant so much to him. Then they go into the G1, you know, they're <clears throat> in the same block. So well, this thing still won't fucking end, you know. And then, <laughs> you know, Akata and Tanahashi, and like, so we got it. It's the the G1 A Block Final, and neither guy can beat the other guy. You know, so I mean, like, uh-huh. we're back round to it. So it's it's really this thing now. I think where Arcado wants to just. Completely finish this this thing of, of Tanahashi and move on. Tanahashi wants more than anything to be back in the main event at the at the Tokyo Dome. Um, I think like and I think like that as well. Like it all comes right back around to the Tokyo Dome right now. You know, I think like Tanahashi really wants to. He's been a, a few years away from the spotlight. He he really wants more than anything to be in the main event. Akanda doesn't know what it's like to not be in the main event mm-hmm. in the Tokyo Dome, so like the Rainmaker like being <laughs> has been in the IWGP title match every year for like the last seven years right so if he's not doing that what does he do you know Um so there's so much about that match and that match is going to be a, a great because it always is as you said but what's really interesting is to me is what happens to both of those guys afterwards mm-hmm. and you know what route Whoever, you know, whichever wins, I think whoever wins, I think I'm more interested in what the loser does next, you know, and um especially if Tanahashi wins, what does Akada do next? Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. And if Tanahashi does win and Omega keeps the belt, which a lot of people think, you know, that he's the favorite, let's face it, uh-huh. Tanahashi and Omega is going to be very, very interesting for a lot of reasons, I think.
0: Well, a while back, I think that if I'm correct, uh, Kenny Omega took the Intercontinental title from Tanahashi, I believe, yeah. and uh, they never really had a blow off there because Tanahashi got hurt, and that led mm-hmm. to the ladder match with um, with um, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, American Michael dude, I, yeah, Michael Elgin, who I've seen a million times. I couldn't think of his name. Which, yeah. by the way, that is one of my favorite matches ever i love that match so much it's so full of shenanigans and shouldn't be anything on japanese television or japanese uh, wrestling but i love it i mean that mm. that's a match that opens up with uh with uno finding the young bucks under the ring <laughs> and kicking them out so
1: yeah yeah and then, then they come out anyway <laughs> you know, right, they, so yeah yeah uh, it's very different it was very different uh,
0: i loved it so in a way uh you know when i saw that this was happening you know and i was like oh okay so um you know, uh, Tanahashi has the briefcase and everything. I thought, well, you know, if he, if he wins, that makes a lot of sense because him and Kenny never had yep. that kind of blow off from that, uh, particular, uh, you know, story that they were going for. And either way, that's, that's one of the things that's great about multi layered, uh, storytelling. And, uh, you know, we have a saying over here in America, trust in Gato because, uh, you know, they, you know, un- unlike, When a a guy gets like your favorite independent wrestler gets signed by WWE, he does great in NXT, he gets called to the main roster, and then he gets ruined. And, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about that. And with New Japan Pro Wrestling, it's something that, you know, when you you trust that the storytelling is going to pay off and you trust that it's going to be not only pay off, but in a good way and maybe several times over four years, like you said, um, and, and, you know, build to something that's even bigger and bigger and bigger and more interesting and more interesting. And so that's something that I love about it. Um, you know, it's, there's so mu- much, you know, so many layers to the onion, so to speak. Um, it's outstanding. And another big uh, onion that we got to look forward to here is, uh, you know, like you said, Kenny Omega versus Tomohiro Ishii. Um, now, I do have a question. Is
1: it ishi or is it ishi-e? It's ishi. Okay. So it's like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. The, if you're writing it in hiragana, it'd be it, she, e. So like, I, I, ishi, like the, the she and the it, like, conjoin together and make it a little bit long, right? But you, okay. you, you don't pause and then say ishi-e. Um, <laughs> like, ishi, yeah. Now, uh,
0: well, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, <laughs> Ishii Ishi is one of my uh, favorite wrestlers in New Japan and kind of always has. I, his feud with Hanma over the Neverweight belt made both mm. of those guys just super over with me. I was like, I love these guys. I mean, and, uh, and I'm so glad Hanma's back. But, uh, but tell me, okay, you know, I know what I think makes Ishii a special wrestler. What do you think is it, it is that kind of makes him a special
1: wrestler? So I think um yeah, it seems that you know, Ishii is like a hot topic at at the moment and so you know I have done I I'm, I'm well versed in interfering about issues. <laughs> I think like three or four people have, have asked me of like written pieces or whatever. Um with Ishii, there's a lot to like about him, you know, because I think like Ishii is one of these and, and every so often you'll get these um stars that are in New Japan. You know, guys that are big stars in New Japan that by rights, ordinarily they wouldn't be, right? Um, and mainly that's because like of their height, you know, and like Liger is, is one of those people. is one of those people. Um, you know, back in the day, like Ultima Dragon, who, who had good runs in New Japan was one of those people where like they were too short to be, uh, in the traditional New Japan dojo system. So they went ahead and went out and made a an name on their own. Um, and then came in. Later, you know, um, so there's already like this kind of thing, even though you know Ishii's built like a brick shit house, but like you know you kind of, there is like a somewhat of a uh, an underdog nature to him that I think is is attractive in the first place. But because of the, the 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 route that Ishii took, um, Ishii went through uh, a promotion called uh, WAR War uh in the the late 90s and then he went from there to aligning himself um around 2002 when Riki Choshu and Kensuke Saki uh left New Japan and started out uh, their own uh, independent promotion um he fell in with with them so what you get with Tomohiro Ishii is in war he was like initially trained and mentored by uh Genichiro Tenryu who was um a legend in the sort of 80s and 90s and um, so he I think from him he learned um, that 80s and 90s style which in Japan we call the the Showa style because that was the the name of the era the, the historical era at the time um, and that era is that sort of style of wrestling is is very sort of roughhouse violent uh, it's angry you know and, and like a lot of that anger was was built out of like contempt in a way for I don't want to say like self-contempt or contempt for the fans but like more kind of you had a lot of people at that time where wrestling was relatively new through the 70s 80s of like people that were stars in pro wrestling you get it in America as well like right? people who were stars in pro wrestling because they got injured during another sport right so Shohei Baba was like a baseball star and like he got hurt when he's pro wrestling, right? Um, Tenryu was originally a sumo guy, retired from sumo, ran into wrestling, you know, and then there's all sorts of like ex football players that went into wrestling in the States, right? Same thing. Um, and that kind of bred like this angry style, right? I think, you know, that, that bred this, this anger of, you know, my life was driven towards this and then like there's a sudden change and now I'm doing this, you know, and, and like that sort of fed this, this anger. So he had that as, as his route. And then he learned from Kensuke Sasaki, which was like much more of a sort of nineties, um, more modern way of that. You know and much more smooth like and there was a, a there was a violence and a viciousness but it was also like tempered by a learning process and something that was a little bit more detached from it so with Ishii you get that mix of the rough and the smooth and um you know he's very very violent but also he's like super smart you know it's like the little things you see Ishii do in the ring like it's um amazing <laughs> you know, amazing the little thought that and i don't think it's you know i don't think it's a thing of like this thing wasn't an accident that they came out in the ring. they he didn't suddenly think of this on the spot at the moment you know but it's like just little things that you see him do that are amazing you know if you watch like that match with omega during the g1 there's all these little bits where ishii sort of turns his back to omega and you kind of think that looks it looks almost jarring for a second it's like Mm -hmm. why you know that's weird that's a weird kind of miscue but then like a few seconds later it's like you see oh he's giving his back to America so like America will try and do something just so she can counter it you know so it's like that that level of like his it like appeals to the thinking man and then he appeals to just, like, the the brute, the brute violence aspect of it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's just he's a, an awesome all-rounder.
0: Well, one of my favorite things that I see out of Ishii, and it's not in every match, but it's usually in one that's, like, a very strong style match or whatever, um, is when he gets in a chop fight with somebody and, uh, you know, he goes back and forth and he fires up like on like the last chop and then he goes down and I love that so much. And I always compliment his selling. I think that he sells better than any wrestler on the planet. And I think that that's one of the things that makes him so great, but I love that the way you said that about him being, you know, an underdog yet being a brute all at the same time, you know, and that's Mm. you're, you're right because he's smaller than everybody yet bigger at the same time, you know, and, uh, that, that's, that's a pretty interesting thing. Um, Now, uh, obviously, we got to talk about Kenny Omega a little bit. Um, you know, he uh, he comes from uh, Canada. You know, yet we claim him for some reason here in America. As he's he's like our guy or whatever. Um, and uh, you know, he's he's obviously you know such an incredible performer. His journey's been so incredible. And and uh, you know, he's the leader. You know, or well, the the Bullet Club's kind of broken up into all these formations now and everything. But uh, you know, he was the leader of the Bullet Club. Um, I live about. I don't know, uh, 15 minutes from uh, the uh, dojo, if you want to call it that, where Carl Anderson uh, was trained. And, uh, you know, I know his trainer and and, uh, I go to the the Pro Wrestling Federation where he started at, Northern Wrestling Federation here in Ohio in the United States. And uh, it's really incredible to see something, you know, uh, that started, you know, here in Ohio kind of all the way you know, turn into this gigantic thing that has become worldwide uh, dominating the Bullet Club and uh, Kenny Omega kind of being, you know, the height of all this and, and the, the, you know, almost the amalgamation of all this incredibleness, you know, in one person. He also has a very, uh, you know, video game-esque, uh, you know, gimmick to him. Tell me a little bit about Kenny Omega and how he's affected Japanese culture and uh, pro wrestling culture
1: um I think like he's managed to to do so well by being just such like the being I guess like the, the, he's, he's like a modern everyman you know it's, it's like hard to sort of say oh you know that Kenny Omega and, and Stone Cold Steve Austin belong in the same set sense <laughs> but like they kind of do right in the you know, Austin, for his era and that sort of, um, late 90s, like, you know, sort of late 90s America, um, you know, he appealed to that. You know, that, that's what everybody said, right? He was like the blue collar worker that wanted to beat up his, his boss. And, um, so that resonated i think with that especially the 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 tv audience that wrestling was going for in that area and and at that time whereas like kenny omega i think much more resonates um you know he's got that same sort of every man uh, appeal um but in a 21st century concept you know where people aren't necessarily um you know tuning in to the the t v but they they live on the internet you know and and they do different things and they're nerds for different things and um you know Kenny like yeah, you know, I think like with austin perhaps austin was inspiration- i think that they're both sort of inspirational aspirational characters. Where like Steve Austin sort of appealed to an aspirational desire to to rebel and, and pop the boss in the face. And I think like Kenny and like there's an aspirational aspect of, you know, because he's such he's so open and he's so able to speak to, to, to you and to other people like you get such a vibe from him. And it's only backed up if you meet him and and talk to him. Um, Like, you know, he's just, he's, he's very much like he's, he's a normal guy, you know, and like, he's, he's a, a big dude, he's a phenomenal fucking athlete. He'll do things like that you or I could, could never do. But at the same time, like he's a normal guy. Like he likes normal thing. You know, he likes what we perceive as, as normal things. Like he likes our nerdy shit, you know, and he's insecure about stuff sometimes. And, you know, and he you know he's he's maybe a little bit depressed sometimes you know so i think like it's something that appeals to like the 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 modern everyman where like we're all a little bit more open about our own insecurities or or failings and like kenny being someone that's uh at the top of his game that's that's reached the, the top of his game um through dealing with that stuff, you know, that that's that means that we all have something to relate to. And I think like everybody has something to relate to with with Kenny. Um, you know, because I think that the wrestling fans obviously have the fact that he's a phenomenal wrestling is a phenomenal athlete. Um like the video game nerds like have something to build to because like he's another video game nerd. You know, like um the LGBT community, like it's the same again. You know, so I think like he he like he's very yeah. You know, i don't want to say very smartly because i that sounds far too calculated you know it doesn't, it doesn't it doesn't sound genuine but like it helps that he's a genuinely nice dude you know and i think like in this era being a nice dude being a genuinely nice person will get you places that that you wouldn't perhaps you wouldn't like 20 years ago you know, because it was, like, all the heroes, like, 20 years ago in wrestling were, like, not nice people. <laughs> they, they, they were, like, Steve Austin's not a nice man. You know, <laughs> the, the Rock is definitely not a nice man. The Rock's a, the Rock's a dick, you know. But, like, but, you know, in 99 and 2000 and 2001, it's like, yeah, you know, treat me, ter- you know, say terrible things about me, make homophobic, homophobic comments. Yeah, I deserve to be treated like trash, you know. Um, and now it's more of an inspirational message, I think. Wrestling's better. better now. Don't, don't listen to anybody that says the SGD attitude ever was the best. It wasn't.
0: Uh, that's that's a fact. You know, uh, it, I think it's funny because more and more people are going back and rewatching that stuff and being like, "Oh my God, there wasn't yeah. any re- there wasn't any wrestling, and it was all terrible." You know, yes. so uh, um, it, it, yeah, there's something to that. That man, that is a great way to put it, and I think you're right. You know, I'm a little older. I'm, I'm 38, so I'm, I'm not quite in that same, uh, group of people that, you know, he appeals to the most. I think that, you know, your, your millennials or your mid twenties mm-hmm. people are the kind of the people that I think, think Kenny Omega is the greatest person in the world. Now, I love Kenny Omega. Don't get me wrong. I had a signed picture of him right behind me. You know, he's one of the, the gateway drugs, if you will, that got me into, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling and helped me to kind of, uh, I don't know. He, it, it, you know, it, when you first watch New Japan as a Western wrestling fan, it's, um, you know, it's a little difficult pill to swallow. And so, you know, he's a, he's kind of a spoonful of sugar that helps the medicine go down when you first start watching it to allow you to, uh, you know, get some of the things that you may see in, in a Western uh, style match. But at the same time, he does the Japanese stuff just as bet just as good as any of the other Japanese guys. And, and that's something that gains him respect among the Japanese audience and the American audience as well, and that everyman thing—that is a—that is a tremendous point right there. Um, that makes a lot of sense. I may steal that from you. So uh, anyway, but uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I, you know, this has been such a great conversation, man. You are extremely knowledgeable. I'm going to have to ask you some more questions. Uh, you know, uh, maybe in the future when I have them, because good lord, um, there's so many things I want to ask you about. I want to ask you about what the heck is Tai Chi. I want to know, you know, what, why, what is? I want to know all about, you know, uh, Suzuki Goon and all these guys. But at the same time, you know, we don't have all day to talk, unfortunately. But, um, you know, one thing I did want to ask before we kind of, uh, you know, uh, end this here is that, um, who is a guy that you're watching? Who's a guy in New Japan that's someone we need to keep an eye on? I know that one of the greatest things about New Japan Pro Wrestling is that even a guy like Yoshihashi. For example, um, who is not necessarily looked upon, you know, uh, by wrestling fans as the greatest wrestler in the world? He can still turn it on and and give an awesome, you know, uh, main event style match. And and just about everybody in New Japan can do something like that. But who's a guy that nobody's really watching? That nobody's really paying attention to? That we need to like, you know, for the future? Who's a young lion? Or who's a guy that uh, that you're keeping
1: an eye on? Um. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, the, the, the concord of, of young lines is, is amazing, you know, and I, I'm sure, like, especially someone like Shota Amino is going to, going to be a big star, but, um, more immediately, I'm going to say in a couple of, in maybe two years or so, um, Shoutar is going to be a really, really big deal. Um, and it's something that, yeah, in in a short time, like you you instantly knew when like uh, Roppongi 3K uh came back, um, what just over a year ago now, maybe it was two years ago now, bad with times, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, you saw this this sort of great, it was just over a year ago now, year and a half, uh, nearly two years, uh, it, you saw like this 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 great junior heavyweight tag team, um, but. When I don't know how much you saw a show in in the best of the Super Juniors this year, but like the dude is, I mean, a, he's barely a junior hybrid at this point, and he's also just a a beast, you know. I mean, the 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 stuff he was doing was so so different um to what everybody else in that that field was doing. And so much more sort of vicious. And like, I kind of think there's a lot in Shotanaka that reminds me, um, you know, it, it, it reminds me, you know, if, if you, if you're a, a Noah fan, you know, it kind of reminds me of a guy called, uh, Takashi Segura who would like now in his fifties is the, the GAC champion over, over in Noah, but like, yo, know, he, he got his start by being very similar, very similar to someone like Show, like being a, a big junior heavyweight that was able to like suplex fools and 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 slam fools and had like a great <laughs> amateur, just a, a phenomenal amateur background. And like Show, he has everything, you know. What I think he has he has those tools. You know, he has like the the legitimate credentials. He has like the 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 pro wrestling accoutrements like yeah i i think he's he's gonna be a really really big guy in a I,
0: years. I, <clears throat> that's a great answer i had the opportunity to see them um when they came over for their excursion uh, you know they were the the awfully named uh tempura <laughs> boys over here i don't know what the hell that was all
1: about but <laughs> there was a, there was, a, there was like there was um i was listening to i think it was kishida's podcast and like he, they you know, they were talking about the the temper, the, the temporary boys. And like Kishida, you know, the, the two of them it's, it's usually like the rest of them are, and one of the guys that that works in the New Japan office. And they they have this conversation it's like that, that's a terrible <laughs> It's a terrible thing. <laughs> he, he thought about this. I can't remember this. Kishida said that or it's like uh Mashimo, who's is the guy in the office, but he goes, I bet it was like this idea. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, uh, you know, I got to see them. I also got to see uh, Kamatashi before he, you know, made his debut as yes. Time Bomb, which leads me to my last question for you, and that is that <clears throat> New Japan Pro Wrestling is missing some of its bigger biggest stars right now. <clears throat> Pardon me. They're missing, uh, uh, you know, uh, Nakamura. They're missing uh, Shibata. They're missing Hiromu Takahashi. Who do you miss the
1: most? Um... I don't, I, I think like, I'm, I miss Hiromu in the, in a way, you know, but I, I think I miss Hiromu, but with Hiromu, it's going to turn out all right. You know, what I mean, thank the, you know, thank the Lord or whatever deity you pray to, like that injury, which, which could have been so, so much worse. Um, was something that that can fix, and yeah, he's going to take you know, nearly a year out or whatever, and that, and that's something we have to deal with. But he's going to come back and have a, a wave of momentum behind him. You know, whether he comes back and and he chooses to put more weight on, you know, can you imagine that he comes back, puts more weight on, and all of a sudden he's a head you know or like you know imagine like Tetsuya you because that's the that's the situation you're in where he could be instantly credible tetsuya naito wins the iwgp championship on on some on some day you know he's he's finally at the top of the mountain and then who comes out to see him afterwards but Hiromi Takashi, you know like that would be a thing right There's so many things that, that, that you could go with uh there um I think like Ship is someone that, that's, you know, it's, it's hard to say that, that he's gone because like he's really sort of, yeah, it, it would be great to, to see him in the ring again. Of course, like if he's physically able to do it. Um, but he's still in the system, you know, and he's, he seems to have found this, this other calling with, with training guys. Um, you know, so it goes to this thing now where, I mean, you could make sort of fantasy matchups, of course, um, but, you know, I think like somebody, somebody said to me on, on another podcast um, a couple of weeks ago that they go like, what's your favorite era of, of New Japan? And, or what's your favorite era of Japanese wrestling in general? What's your favorite era of New Japan in its entire history? And like, I'd say like, probably honestly, when we have the benefit of hindsight, we'll be able to say that this period right now is the best that new japan's ever been you know and i I think maybe there there will be a time where you know suddenly again you know a a bunch of people might might leave um the and the perhaps then there won't be someone to step up in their place but i don't know i can't see that you know and it felt if you if you're a fan if you were a fan on like January 5th 2016 where suddenly like AJ left and Carl Anson left and Luke guys left and and Shinsuke left and um you know cuz I mean, if you remember like Kotobushi went independent that month as well he was injured at the time mm-hmm. um but you know it was like oh that's it it's uh like, you know we had a good run boys that's it you know <laughs> um but from there like it it only seemed to like skyrocket from there um so i think truly we are in the best of times right now um hopefully long may it continue i i hope i hope um yeah
0: well that's tremendous man uh this has been an outstanding conversation um Tell everybody where they can live tweet along with you uh, during uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling events. Where can we find your books? What are the names of your books? Where can we find you on the internet? Tell us all that stuff.
1: Okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, my my two books, Lions Pride is a history of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Eggshells is the history of pro wrestling at the Tokyo Dome. Uh, They're both, uh, I think, probably more easily available at, at amazon.com sometimes every now and then uh there'll be people that like i don't want to line jeff bezos po- uh, pockets you know what can i do <laughs> um uh i can understand that if you uh go out to twitter and, and hit me up at reason i i will see what i can do there's there's still some books uh you know in uh in my sort of junk room that my wife keeps tripping over every now and again. So uh, I can can certainly get get rid of them. Um, Yeah. As I said, uh, at reason JP on Twitter, um, I am, you know, it's one that we'd lightly talked about it before we, we came on. I am not on the, the destruction broadcasts. Um, I'm also though not finished working with new, with new Japan. Like, um, you know, I, I'm, Doing things you you may see or hear me, uh, pop up on their, um, or on their website or in their video form or on their broadcast. I, I honestly don't know. Um, that is a thing where, you know, I said before, I think, I, I've signed some things where I can't talk, talk about stuff. That's something I can't talk about because I really don't know at this point. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but we're, we're not done with that. So, um, you know, the, you can look forward to that.